SciShow Tangents is brought to you by Manukora Honey. Merriam-Webster defines honey as a sweet, viscid material elaborated out of nectar of flowers in the honey sack of various bees. And that's all good and fine, but old Miriam and Webster (laughs) used some words that I don't know and didn't really hit the mark when it comes to talking about Manukora honey. First off, Manukora isn't just sweet and viscid. It's got a rich, complex taste and a creamy, melt-in-your-mouth texture that you won't find in your average, everyday grocery store honey. And nectar of flowers doesn't cut it when you're talking about the nectar of the Manuka tea tree in New Zealand. The only nectar these bees feed on in the production of Manukora honey. In conclusion, Manukora ain't just your average boring dictionary defined honey. It's special honey. I know this firsthand. Uh, they sent us a jar, a squeeze bottle, and some honey sticks. And we've been sharing them around the office of their MGO 850 Plus, their best selling honey. It's not the same. <laughs> it's not <laughs> what you're thinking of when you think of honey. Look, have you ever think to yourself, if like, a company made grapes for the first time, we'd go nuts. It's, I feel like honey is this way, where I'm like, if anybody like made this up, we'd be going out of our minds. But this is like if honey happened again. Did you like the honey, Sari? So I moved into a new place where there's no insulation in the walls. And so uh, I've been drinking a lot of tea. And mm-hmm. sometimes that tea needs a little bit of honey. And I initially poured in this honey thinking it was going to be grocery store honey. And then I was like, that's different. And now it's a little uh, breakfast treat. It's a great breakfast treat because it's 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 a little like it's for toast. I could put like this on my butter toast and I'm like, oh, I'm having an experience. So Merriam-Webster also defines ultimate as the best or most extreme of its kind. Now that one fits Manukora to a T. Indulge in the best or most extreme sweet viscid material elaborated out of nectar of flowers in the honey sack of various bees from Manukora. If you head to manukora.com slash tangents, you can get $25 off their starter kit, which comes with the MG850 Plus Manuka Honey, a free travel pack of honey sticks, a free wooden spoon, and also a free guidebook. That's M-A-N-U-K-O-R-A dot com slash tangents to get $25 off your starter kit. Welcome to SciShow Tangents, the lightly competitive knowledge showcase starring some of the geniuses that make the YouTube series SciShow happen. Today, we are joined by our regular group of four friends. We'll start with Stefan Chin. Ooh. How you doing? Good. What have you been working on? Oh, you know, I'm working on a little music in my free time. Oh, that's nice. I'm playing a lot of Fortnite, though. <laughs> <laughs> What's your tagline? Uh, cheeseburger dreams. And with Sam Schultz is also here. Hi. Artist. Mm-hmm. Mind magician. Oh, am I? What are you working on? I think I drew the best thing I ever drew this week. <laughs> Ooh. Oh, yeah. It was the background to the new kids episode. Because I produce I show kids and sometimes you need like special backgrounds and stuff. So I drew a good one today. Oh. Yeah. Can I get it as a tattoo? It's a big uh, forest? So no, I don't think so. What? It would take up your whole torso. I don't know. I got a whole, I got you have a whole, whole torso. You have a whole torso. <laughs> yeah. What's your tagline? Sure. Um, this is a long one, but today I listened to the same Smashing Pumpkin song about f- literally a hundred times. Sari Riley. 
Hello. Over on the science couch, who has reported feeling grumpy. I know. <laughs> so arrived, at, arrived at the podcast studio and was like, just so everybody knows. <laughs> feeling grumpy, so it's going to be hard to make me laugh. Let's have fun, guys. What have you been working on? Writing an infusion that you started to write. About the Flint water crisis. Oh, that science. probably wouldn't make you feel grumpy. No, it's like a good script. It's just one more thing on it top of everything another, else. I'm sorry that I'm making you write about the Flint water crisis. No, it's interesting, though. It is. It's yeah. like sad, but it's yeah. interesting. It's the greatest crime of our generation. We, it, right? It's pretty tragic. <laughs> yeah. And what's your tagline? Uh-oh, lost my skeleton. And oh, whoa, no. whoa. I'm Hank Green. <laughs> I've been working on panicking about my book coming out. Ooh, uh, very soon. Very soon, though it will be out by the time this podcast comes oh, out yeah. by a wide margin. <laughs> yeah. What are you working on? <clears throat> That's what I'm working on, panicking. Panicking? Just oh. panic. And my tagline today is peanut brittle. Ooh, that sounds great. Those are good. Yeah, I love it. So, if you don't know, never been here for SciShow Tangents. Every week on Tangents, we get together and try to one-up, amaze, and delight each other with science facts. Now, as always, we introduce this week's topic with the traditional science poem. This time, Stefan is presenting our topic. This is a haiku entitled Kiwi's Lament. Oh, no. This dumb, smooth breastbone... I guess I'm stuck in this home. Why, evolution? Short and sweet. (laughs) Short and sweet. Is the home its body? No. No, His home is like the ground. He's stuck Uh, with the ground. Well, in this case, because it's a Kiwi, New Zealand. Nothing wrong with New Zealand, really, but flightless bird can't migrate anywhere else. It can't go, because all the birds get to go everywhere. Yeah. Back before people could go anywhere, birds were like, I've been to all the places. Yeah. Water ain't I've shit. I've been all around this world. What? Water ain't shit to a bird. They can just fly <laughs> right over it. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, I can't I can't swim over a water. The, well, not that far, as far as they can fly. Yeah, not as far as they can fly. Mm-hmm. Water ain't shit to a bird. <laughs> I think that's uh, your tagline. Yeah, so our, yeah, so our <laughs> topic this week on SciShow Tangents is flightless birds. And that kiwi is stuck in New Zealand, but it's also stuck on the ground. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there are a number of different kinds of flightless birds. One that I didn't think of at all while I was doing my research until the very end is penguins, mm-hmm. which are flightless oh. birds, but you don't really think of them. Oh, I, that's oh, all yeah. I thought of. Oh, okay. Penguins and is number kiwis. one. Penguins yeah. is number one. <laughs> yeah. So what's the difference between a, between a flightless bird and a dinosaur? Sari, go. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I think they have wings. Yeah. Teeth. No teeth. teeth. No teeth. But some dinosaurs didn't have teeth. Yeah. I think it's reptiles versus avians. That right. Are the two. There's, a, there's a thing there. It's complicated how we d- discuss lineage. Turns out that all the, all the circles we try to draw are just fuzzy edged. There's some pretty terrifying birds. I think most yeah. birds are kind of scary. Once mm. you get close enough to them, you don't think so? No. no. They're aggressive. A yeah. Tiny yeah. Like geese. Yeah, pigeons but are there's cute. a difference That's true. between a tiny pigeon and something with giant legs and seven inch talons. Yeah. What about like a hawk, though? They're scary. Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah I wouldn't want to get hawked. But, would you want to well, get pigeoned? <laughs> I would nah, rather, get rather pigeoned. be pigeoned. <laughs> I've been pigeoned. It's not that big of a deal. I feel yeah. like you could say to the pigeon, Cut that out. And it would be like, ooh, okay. Yikes. I understand human language. (laughs) They might. I live in the city. I'm basically a person. But flightless birds, there's sort of a little bit of a fuzzy line with some birds that can sort of jump and flap 
Like mm-hmm. big turkeys can mm. kind of do that, and turkeys can kind of fly. Peacocks can kind of fly, but they're not great at it. So chickens, there's a little bit of chickens a, can kind of fly, right? So yeah. this was the thing that was surprised me, and this is from the Wikipedia about flightless birds. Oh. But uh, it was saying that only domestic chickens are considered flightless. Oh, and so we've same thing bred for them ducks. to be so heavy that they can't fly. They're just like, I am made of meat, mm-hmm. and so there's no way I can do anything but just like jump a little higher than I otherwise could. <laughs> hmm. That makes sense. Yeah. yeah. I would expect for a wild, whatever the ancestor yeah. of the chicken was, uh, would be a flyer. Because mm-hmm. you got to be able to get up in that tree if you're a pheasant of some kind, whatever they were. Do flightless birds have teeth? No, no, no birds have teeth. Okay. Except for egg teeth, which they grow for a little bit. Egg and teeth? And they can use to, to tick out of their oh. eggs. Mm-hmm. Sometimes bird... Birds are born with like one or two teeth so that, that they use to break the egg on the way oh, out. Okay. I think I've heard and You about can that. also genetically alter a bird. They still have the genes to make teeth and mm. you can turn those genes on terrible. and then they grow teeth and mm-hmm. it is terrible. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. There's like a dude who's really into researching dinosaurs and the connections between dinosaurs and birds. And he was like, let's make a chicken into a dinosaur and did that. And he was oh, like, yeah. there, it's done. Yeah, I made it. It. Yeah. There are teeth poking out of its beak. It's great. Mm-hmm. Everybody, uh, everyone's happy now. Jurassic Park is here. Yeah. Give me $65 a piece to see my terrifying chicken. Can you really pay $65 to no. see it? No. That's <laughs> really cheap. Science. Jurassic Park would be way more expensive than that, I think. Yeah, I've always wondered how much Jurassic Park would be. Oh, I think a lot. I think a lot. Yeah. So, like, everybody who gets eaten at Jurassic Park is basically just rich. the bougie rich. Yep. Yeah. So it's like, and well, the people who, who work there. Well, people who work there probably are just people. Who oh, no, I mean, their jobs. yeah, they don't want you don't want them to get eaten. That's but the, you can eat the rich, the rich but not, not the poor workers. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. I'll keep that in mind. Yeah. So we're going to start off our podcast with me. It's Truth or So Truth or Fail uh, is our segment in which one of our panelists this week, it's me, has prepared three science facts for everybody's education and enjoyment. But only one of those facts is real. The other panelists have to figure out either by deduction or wild guesses, which is the true fact. So I've got three flightless bird facts, and we've all done a bunch of flightless bird research. So I'm really worried that you guys have encountered these facts There's only so many. (laughs) I I feel like after this, I got really, like I had a bunch of time. For some reason. I didn't have the time, but I got into it. And so I spent a lot of time researching flightless birds. So I feel like there's nothing I don't know about them anymore. We're going to start with our first fact. The smallest flightless bird in the world is the rail, uh, is a a rail, which is a kind of gallinule. And it would fit in the palm of your hand. And it only lives on one island in the entire world. And the name of that island is literally inaccessible island. (laughs) Cool. And so the bird, this tiniest flightless bird, it's called the inaccessible island rail. Oh. That's the name of the bird. Mm -hmm. Or number two, the ostrich and the rhea and emu have... All lay very big eggs, and those eggs are super useful because they're big, they're durable, and they're round, and they make themselves, and you don't have to manufacture them. This led to them being used widely in some industries, and for decades in the mid-1800s, ostrich eggs were cut in half, and then the rounder two parts were stuck together uh, to make small globes, and ostrich egg globes became a fashionable item for wealthy people in Europe. 
or emu are notoriously pesky crop eaters. They're native to Australia. And farmers in Western Australia actually called in the Australian army to protect their crops from emus. And the Australian army brought machine guns out to the farms and were on their way to making emu completely extinct when a conservation movement started up to stop the so-called emu war. Hmm. Okay. One of those three is true? One of those three is true. Are they not all true? One, one, <laughs> no. one of them is subtly untrue, I believe. There's, tr- there's truth in them all, as there usually is, so that we yeah. have things to talk about. That's the, the emu best. war sounds the fakest to me, mm-hmm. but I also feel like I heard about oh, the emu war. I mean, war. I've read the emu war Wikipedia. Oh. It's real, but they did a bad job. They didn't kill all the emu. That's what I'm thinking is the fake part. Mm. They gave up. Yeah, I guess I don't know if your description of the emu war is correct. Was accurate. But there was a war with emu. Yes, we went to war of with some emu. kind. <laughs> there was some kind of emu. War. I'm pretty sure I've heard about there being an emu war, even though it sounds the fakest. It does sound really fake. Well, that globe ostrich egg thing also sounds pretty fake. But I've also feel like in my research, I read about globes made yeah, of ostrich eggs and how they high. were really oh. like sturdy and decorative and like a exclusive object, which makes sense because yeah. people went on their safaris or explored mm. animal species, ate a bunch of stuff, <laughs> took home this. had some ostrich egg <laughs> yeah. omelets. So I think that one, here's my take on the, that yeah. one, the mm-hmm. ostrich egg one. There's something that they used ostrich eggs for, but I don't feel like that's it. There was a more yeah. practical thing that ostrich eggs were used for mm. by industry. Mm. And the first one, I feel like you would know if that one's real or not, Sari. I know, so on SciShow, we did a video about endemic species which Mm. are things that live in one very particular place Mm -hmm. and i think we did one about a flightless bird that lived on an island but i don't remember what it was called an inaccessible island sounds like the most fake name oh really i feel like that sounds like like a real name yeah that it sounds like a real name to me like translated from something else but like they would Mm. name the island and then we'd be like translated that means inaccessible island (laughs) oh i feel like it would be left over from like colonial days and they just wouldn't have changed it and then eventually it was Just too stuck. like too fun to change. I also don't know how small it is. Whether it's like mm. palm of your hand, palm of your hand. Well, you said palm said of your hand, but yeah. like kiwis are like probably like yeah. nestle in your crook really of your elbow. They're not I teeny. I wouldn't say that a kiwi could fit in the palm of your hand. I could stand on the palm yeah. of your hand, yeah. maybe. I'm gonna make you guys answer the question. Now. Oh, okay. Uh, so, is it the inaccessible island rail? Is it the uh, plentiful ostrich egg? Globes, or is it the emu war that almost drove the emu to extinction? I'm going with the inaccessible island one. I also think it's the island. I'm mm-hmm. going to go with ostrich globes. Ostrich globes. It's the inaccessible island oh, rail. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the inaccessible island rail only lives on inaccessible island, which is about as far as you can get from anywhere. Uh, it is part of an archipelago, and one of the islands is ha- inhabited. In the archipelago, but Inaccessible Island is not. So Inaccessible Island is in the basically like if you draw a line between South America and, and Africa, like southern South America and southern Africa, you like in the very middle is where Inaccessible Island is. And uh, these little birds basically have the called Inaccessible Island Rails have like are in the ecological niche of like a mouse. Mm-hmm. So they eat little bugs and they hang out in the grass and they look really cute. They look like a tiny kiwi. 
they have that thing that flightless birds have where their feathers don't knit together, but they look more like sort of fuzzy Mm -hmm. fur. And it's just for keeping them warm and protecting them from stuff Mm -hmm. rather than for flying. And they're they're cuties. And uh, they are doing just fine on the one island where they (laughs) live. But if anything was introduced, they would go extinct immediately. Yeah. Huh. So if there was a mouse introduced, a snake introduced, oh. mm. uh, any, like, rats, like, they would just... They're tasty little guys. Huh. Yeah, and also, like, like they're not as good as a mouse at exploiting their niche. Right. So a mouse would just be like, oh, I will eat all the bugs. Oh. And you will... And your babies probably too. Are they constantly vigilant to keep mice from getting people? Yeah, people have become pretty vigilant about like keeping inaccessible island a nature preserve. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. the people who like the n- natively lived nearby still go to it. And mm-hmm. the place where they come from does have mice. Um, oh. So they go there to like harvest timber, and they like always have it's part of their like traditional lifestyle. Oh. So, but like they have tried to make it more careful. Um, and also there was at one time like people started to do agriculture on the island and they, they shut that down. And they were like, no, you, it's just a nature preserve now. But chances are yeah. things, something will eventually go wrong. Yeah. The, the oldest known globe that has the, the, like a piece of the new world on it mm-hmm. was on an ostrich egg. That is not, was not a common way to do globes, though. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that was in the 1500s. In the 1850s, globes were made of plaster uh, um, or wood mm-hmm. if they were small. Mm-hmm. They just carved them. But yes, the, there's a, a beautiful, very old globe that shows a little piece of what they had discovered so far in the new world. What? So the emu wars were totally a thing uh, where they tried and they brought machine guns to people's farms and they completely failed at killing emu. Yeah. Huh. They were just terrible at it. And emu are fast. What? They change directions very quickly. They're very <laughs> sturdy so they could get shot several times what? and survive. And there are lots of emu in and Australia. They're they're successful and yeah. good at being emu. They and killed like a hundred, huh. I think. Maybe yeah, the, the first time they like brought the machine gun out, they killed like 20 and they were like, <laughs> Uh, Because they just split into two groups and they were like trying to herd them together and the emu were like, no, man, come at me, bro. Uh, And emu are very hard to kill. Well, I was right. I should get a bonus one. Why do you get a bonus one? Because I was right about the emu wars. And you You gave me such a look like, oh, I wouldn't lie about that. (laughs) (laughs) Is that what the look was? I think the look was, oh, shoot. (laughs) You know. As soon as Gary was like, we did a whole side show on endemic (laughs) island species, I was like, (laughs) <laughs> I just have a bad memory. Yeah, yeah. she picked the wrong one. Yeah. yeah. And now let's take a quick break to hear from our sponsor. Slash Tangents is brought to you by Rocket Money, a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. I said it before and I'll say it again. It's a subscription-based world out there. Video games, art-making programs, food delivery services. These things, they all have dang subscription services to subscribe to. And I don't want to cast aspersions? Dispersions? Aspersions. One of those. But it does seem like part of the subscription uh, business model is to get you to subscribe to something and then hope that you lose track of everything you subscribe to and just keep forking out 10 bucks a month until the sun mm-hmm. burns out. And you know yeah. what? That's actually a pretty good idea on their part, but it's not such a good idea for your wallet. Your money is like a bean. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> you want to plant it in fertile soil. You don't want people carving off pieces of your bean all the time. Yeah, that yeah. bean's not going to grow if, there, if there's, there's a constant drain on the, on bean. the bean. That <laughs> is where Rocket Money comes in. With Rocket Money, you can see all your subscriptions in one place, decide what you do and don't want, and cancel things with just a tap. Rocket Money will even try to get you a refund for the last couple of months of wasted money. And beyond... I mean, beans and beyond subscription canceling <laughs> rocket money helps you build budgets, track your spending and more. There's all kinds of ways to take care of those beans. So they grow into a nice big bean plant. It has over 5 million users and ha- it helps save members an average of $720 a year with over 500 million in canceled subscriptions. What would you do with 720 beans? I'd buy more beans. <laughs> <laughs> Different kind of bean, I guess. A cheaper, more of a cheaper type of bean. You buy cheaper beans with your expensive beans. (laughs) Yeah, until I had an infinite amount of the cheapest bean you could possibly have. (laughs) Subscription (laughs) companies hate this one simple trick because you figured out their plot. And now you can use that money for beans instead. Stop wasting (laughs) money on things you don't use and start using money on things like beans. Cancel your (laughs) unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash tangents. That's rocketmoney.com slash tangents. Rocketmoney.com slash T-A-N-G-E-N-T-S. And we're back. Let's take a look at the scores. I have one point. Sam, you have one point. Uh Uh-huh. Stefan, you have two points. Yahoo! Sarah, you got (laughs) nothing. Boo. (laughs) All right, everybody. Now it's time to get ready for... Two panelists have brought science facts to present to the others in an attempt to blow their minds. The presentees each have a hankbuck to award the fact that they like the most. The person who goes first is the person who most recently ate a bird. Probably. Any you didn't bird? eat any food today, so it's not you. <laughs> <laughs> True. Well, did you eat bird today? Uh, yeah. Oh. I ate a chicken orange chicken stir fry that I made. Ooh. Chicken orange chicken. Yep. <laughs> so it's time for you to tell us your fact, Sam Schultz. Okay. Global warming is bad for everything on Earth, but crested penguins, which is the name of the family of penguins that have the fun yellow eyebrows, mm-hmm. they get it worse than a lot of other species for one weird reason, their inability to make compromises about how they raise their children. <laughs> so most penguins, all penguins basically, take turns guarding the nest and hunting when their chicks hatch, and they take turns and they switch on and off throughout the chick's life. But crested penguins only switch jobs once. So oh. their kids hatch, and for the first three to four weeks as they're growing up, the male penguin guards the nest and doesn't eat any food, and the female penguin goes off and hunts and brings the food back. But then once they're old enough, the female penguins take over after three to four weeks, and they guard the nest. And for the six weeks after that, the males go out into the ocean and they hunt. But since they were fasting so much, they have to make up their body weight but also since they're the breeding grounds of the things that they eat, like they haven't had good breeding years lately because of global warming, they can usually only eat enough to feed themselves so they can't bring enough food back for their babies. So their babies are malnourished now and much smaller than they used to be. Oh, no. The end. 
That wasn't so much mind-blowing. It's just, here, learn about underweight penguin chicks. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> penguins are kind of sad right now. I read that there are like 60% less penguins than there were in 1979 or something like that. That doesn't like surprise that. me at all. It's not yeah. just global warming. Like, they eat fish, and yeah. so do we. Mm-hmm. Particularly me. I don't know that I eat the same fish as penguins. But also nowadays we have like um, fish farm operations that mm-hmm. grow like carnivorous fish like salmon and stuff. Mm-hmm. And so they have to catch the fish that they feed oh. to the fish farm. Yeah. So it's not like they stop catching fish. Huh. They go and like catch sardines, which are like prime penguin food yeah. to feed to to upgrade to, to fancier yeah. food yeah. for us. But are sardines doing all right? No, they're starting oh. to tar- starting to take a hit. Like oh, you know, they're they're doing they're doing okay. They rebound faster sure. because they're smaller than, yeah. than big predator fish, but they are starting to oh. be fewer of them, especially like and and like you know, we very much compete with penguins for food. That's sad because <laughs> they will lose. They're so, <laughs> they're so small and we have boats and they yeah. don't have boats. I'm going to go on a tangent. There was some, some explorer people. I'm not going to have super uh-huh. super specific <laughs> oh. knowledge on this one because this was a while ago that I found this out. They were like setting up their fishing expeditions and they're like on these new islands, you know, men of the sea. Mm-hmm. And they wanted to like have fire sometimes because they were cold, but there was no nothing to burn on the island. But they found, they figured out that penguins have such high body fat no. that they, that they, no. <laughs> that they burn. Oh, they didn't. No. You could just light them, you could just How could you, light them on fire. How? No. Did they eat them at all or they were just no, like, this is firewood? 100%, 100% for warmth. Fire oh, penguins. God. Yeah. There's a big stack of that, penguins they're throwing uh, on the fire. Yeah, just go like throw another one on. <laughs> throw one on. Yeah. Do they love people? Oh. I think they learned pretty fast. Okay, good. Does anybody mm-hmm. have any other questions for Sam? Why only the species? Is it just the way that they swap it's off? It's just the way that that particular, hair? yeah, that particular kind, just the eyebrow ones switch off only once. So so should they be able to switch, like if they could switch off more often, would then it, it would be, be helpful? Fine. Oh, yeah, okay. if they could switch off more often, they could be fine, but scientists haven't found like any evidence that they have figured that out yet. So oh, they should, so. scientists should go and like say, hey, I know that you think this is your responsibility right now, uh-huh. but sometimes you have to take a break and look out for number one. Yeah. Who is number one penguin? You are, Steve. But then his baby would be all alone and get eaten. <laughs> <laughs> they'll, be like, they'll be like, we'll watch your kid. Well, well yeah. we're the, here. You hop in the ocean. Scientists, I'm going to lay right down on this oh, egg. I'm, I would be a, a penguin daycare specialist. <laughs> that. That's, a good, that's yeah. a good tagline for next week. Sam yeah. Schultz, penguin daycare specialist. I want this for me now. Sari, it is your turn for the fact off. Okay. Most birds don't have penises except ducks and ratites, which is an infraclass that includes the ostrich emu mm-hmm. cassowary. And the cassowary is the one that I want to talk about because they have two particularly weird things. So according to one study with one ostrich and three emu dissections, so I'm guessing that it applies to cassowaries too, they get erections, not because of blood like mammals, but because of lymph, which is a colorless fluid containing white blood cells. And it has this whole separate system called the lymphatic system in your blood. I know. I cured this from Tank. Maybe it sucks from now on. (laughs) Um, And so from what I can tell, ratites with penises still operate on like penis plus cloaca logistics. You stick one in the other, fertilization happens. Mm -hmm. Like the penis helps with fertilization and sperm 
channeling. Mm-hmm. Um, but with cassowaries, uh, which are these birds that are big and heavy and have a big crest on the top of their head, people are afraid of getting like kicked and killed by them. They have pseudo penises on males and females that isn't connected to reproductive organs, and they just like cloacal kiss, but they still, still like have them? stick them inside each other. Oh, Jeez. it got better. Uh. <laughs> What a dumb fact. (laughs) (laughs) I felt like I read a lot about flightless birds and I did not come out with any knowledge of limp penises. Yeah. So some of the penises do do things in ratites? Yes. As far as I can tell, ostrich emu penises do things. They have- They deliver sperm. They have something called a phallic sulcus. Ooh, which sure is they do. a groove in the penis. I don't think there's a channel in the penis. I looked no, at so like many a... pictures of ostrich penises for this <laughs> <just> show. Like... <laughs> <laughs> if anybody out there is an emu farmer, let us know what oh, I would love emu's to know. penises look like. Yes, mm. please, because I can only tell so much from Google image searches and papers. So what I can tell is that the sperm still comes out of the cloaca, mm-hmm. but it runs down a channel in the penis. It's like a Hot Wheels track. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> cool. So it's like, let's get up in that cloaca and uh-huh. right. huh. runs okay. off but, inside. But in the cassowary, it's just a fleshy yeah. thing. In the cassowary, it's like a fleshy thing. And the female has one, too, that's about the same size. But most of the year, it's inverted. So it becomes like a pseudo-vagina. What the hell? Uh, (laughs) And so they both have this like weird fleshy bit organ. And so when they mate, to my understanding, also didn't see a picture of this, but the male pseudo-penis goes into the female pseudo-vagina and then just like... And then the, the, the kiss thing. happens. And then the kiss happens there. Uh, Sari wins? Yeah. Obviously? <laughs> oh. <laughs> Come on. I'm... Sari wins my Hank Buck. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to step on Stefan. No. Yeah, Fuck sorry. That's the best sex. That's fine. <laughs> sorry, that's the best. <laughs> it's not just the best fact. It's also the best sex, mm-hmm. apparently. Okay, it's time for Ask the Science Couch, where we ask listener questions to our couch of finely honed scientific minds. And I think Stefan has our question for us. Sarai Creations, I hope I'm saying that correctly, uh, or at Tiamat Sarai, asks, Tell the world about the kakapo, the world's only nocturnal flightless parrot. Not a question, but... (laughs) Yeah, that is... uh, I think it's also the world's only flightless parrot. Yeah, I think so, too. It just happens to also be nocturnal. So tell us about the kakapo. Mostly what I know about the kakapo is that it's rare, it's going extinct, and it had sex with David Attenborough's cameraman. Oh, that was that thing. (laughs) That's like pretty much all you need to know. Where do they live? New Zealand, I think. They're endemic to Mm, New Zealand. Yeah. Which means that they just like are confined to that location because they're flightless and can't go anywhere. So they're on this island. That's pretty much the basics. Was it David Attenborough's cameraman or was it Stephen Fry's cameraman? They mate with a lot of non-cockapos because they're not the brightest little birds. And also there's not a lot of cockapos left. Yeah. So I got to do it with something. Our producer has told us to clarify that this was not oh, like... Cons- they didn't have sex with each other. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he was just trying to capture the moment and the cockapo decided that its head was a good place to latch onto. Yeah, they like flutter up around heads. One of the researchers tried to uh. make a helmet to capture semen from the uh, cockapos. So this is common uh, enough. Yes. 
they didn't like the helmet, so they oh. never tried to mate with people's heads <laughs> when they were wearing it. I don't know why they try and mate with people, um, but basically, they're very bad at it um, and not really set up for it. They're the only parrot to practice what's known as the lek mating system, which is where... Males court the females with, like, song and dance and make Mm. it a big show. Um, And so during the breeding season, they walk up to four miles away and then dig a bowl in the ground and, like, make it look all pretty. But because they're flightless, it's very hard to find Mm -hmm. male cockapos Uh when they're all, like, screaming into the forest. I think they have deep booming. Yeah, they go like, Yeah, that can travel as far as three miles, and they boom like tens of times throughout the mating season. And the females are wandering around, and they're like, where are they? Sometimes (laughs) they find little holes in the ground that were dug out previously, and they're like, okay. This is a good hole. This is a good hole. I like it. But then there's no (laughs) bird there. Oh, no. It's an old hole. Yeah, it's an old hole. So that's... They're bad at breeding and they like have trouble finding each other because they're so few and because their breeding system is not really set up for the way that they travel. Um, Also, the females are only fertile and only want to really breed when a fruit called the Rimu fruit uh, is in season. They're fruit dependent. They're fruit dependent. And one study says that they think it's because this fruit is really saturated in vitamin D, which is an essential nutrient for both egg laying and for development of the baby birds. Hmm. And so it's like, oh, we got to make sure we're stocked up on this fruit before I feel ready to bring babies into the world for mm-hmm. some reason. Mm-hmm. So something's going on biochemically and biologically with that. And the, yeah, so they'll only mate in a high fruit year. <laughs> so if, there's, if it's not high fruit, they just don't mate at all. Yeah, oh. which is oh, not man. good. And then when they do mate, they only lay one or two eggs. Come so on, like y'all. Replacing exactly what's there. And they initially had no natural predators. And so they're just like very gentle creatures. If they're scared, they'll just freeze and <laughs> sit there and like try and blend in with the environment. It sounds very precious, but also very sad. Sometimes they'll be like climbing up in trees. And if they get scared, they'll jump out, even though they can't oh. really fly. And they'll just kind of like parachute flutter down to the ground in like a scared, sad little way. Oh, and because they have no defense mechanisms, because they just like freeze or flutter around and make a bunch of noise when invasive species species started being brought in by mostly Western settlers Mm -hmm. like uh, stoats, which are a kind of weasel, and rats and cats. They just got eaten because Mm -hmm. they're these, even though they're like chunky birds, eight pounds, I think, is the number that I read. Yeah. They're just going to sit there and get eaten. Yeah, that's good. That's good food for a stoat. So, yeah, the numbers went down to like 50 or 30 individuals, which is so, so few. Um, And now there's a really concentrated effort from humans to try and rebreed. I think they're up to 149, according to an article from March of this year. So All right. Not bad, slowly not, going up. Not that yeah. many birds. No. Yeah. Oh. We have 149 of the stupidest parrots. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that we're just wow. really trying to save, even though they've, like, I guess it was partially our fault that they were yeah, driven to extinction. Yeah. But also. Well, that's how I felt about the the inaccessible island rail. It's mm-hmm. like it's doing fine at the moment, but, like, if a you know a, a breeding pair of mice got to that island in any way they would go extinct so probably it would have happened eventually but it will happen to everyone eventually yeah. someday the planet will be consumed by the sun oh yeah you're right what's the point then 
<laughs> and with that, let's look at the final scores. I still have one. Sam, you still have one. Yeah. Stefan, you still have two. But Sari, come back to tie Stefan with two <laughs> points. A Boop. penis fact is always going to win the day. Mm-hmm. It's not a penis fair. and a vagina fact. It's a penis and a vagina fact. All in one. It's yeah. cheating, basically. <laughs> Animal sex. <laughs> if you want to ask the science couch, you can tweet your questions using the hashtag AskSciShow. Thank you to Garrett Lally Later and Murray Kitson and everybody else who tweeted us your questions this week. And remember, if you like this show and if you want to help us out, it's really easy to do that. First, you can leave us a review on iTunes. That is very helpful and helps us know what you like about the show. Second, you can tweet out your favorite moment from this episode. Finally, you could just tell people about us. Thank you for joining us this week. I have been Hank Green. I've been Sari Riley. I've been Stefan Chin. And I've been Sam Schultz. SciShow Tangents is a co-production with WNYC Studios. It's produced by all of us and Caitlin Hoffmeister. Our music is by Joseph Tunamedish. Our art is by Hiroko Matsushima. Our social media organizer is Victoria Bongiorno, and we couldn't make any of this without our patrons on Patreon. Thanks again, and remember, the mind is not a vessel to be filled, but a fire to be lighted. But one more thing. Ostriches are the only bird that poop and pee separately. Do they pee down the Hot Wheels track?